RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. It is 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and welcome to Mission Log Live. I'm Norman Lau, and with me tonight... That's that's okay. I talked over you first. We were both rude. As you can tell, I'm not John Champion. So you're gonna have to put up with me. <laughs> uh, good evening, everybody, and thank you for joining us on Mission Log Live. And just as number one is a good and loyal companion, here we are waking you up with our cold, wet noses once again to talk about Trek. It's Monday night, it's 7 p.m., it's Mission Log Live, and I'm John Champion, surgically oh. altered to look like Norman Lau. Oh, that's what happened. That's exactly what happened. Oh, well, that's a relief. John, I'm so glad we're doing this together. Um, I'm Rekha Sharma, and each week on Mission Log Live, when there's new Star Trek, we are here to discuss it with you, our Star Trek pals. So Picard, episode two, Maps and Legends, has dropped, and that is on the agenda tonight. What did you think? Where is it headed? And are rogue synths now showing up in your nightmares? Click on the Zoom meeting link. Of course, you can use the one tap from your smartphone, or you can call us at 669-900-6833 and enter the meeting code that you see on the screen. Earl will patch you through to us. Thanks, Earl. And then it's time to give us the lowdown. Whether you are joining us live or later, please do remember to hit like, hit share, and invite your friends to join us for our lively Trek discussions each week. It is truly the best way to validate our very existence. That is so existential. Mm. I appreciate that. Again, that number to call tonight is uh, 669-900-6833. And please share your comments and questions about the card, episode two, maps and legends, or use the one tap from your smartphone, or better yet, just click on the Zoom meeting. Now, as we do with all of our Mission Logs lives, we're going to take a look at the chat and see what's happening here. Now, this is my first time as one of the main hosts of, of Mission Log Live, so you're going to have to bear with me. You're going to see my eyes kind of dart around a lot and very well possible look this way because I think one of my rabbits may be trying to escape. That's okay. She can escape and <laughs> do what she does. So I'm going to take a look at the, 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 the chat. Emancipated here, so rabbit. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'll throw like treats at her and see what happens. <laughs> so we have Scott here. We have Jason here. We have Carlos here. Hello, Carlos. We have Paul, Peter, Barry. Hey, Peter, the Dennis. What's going Gosh, on? Gosh, we got lots of people. Warren, Dave, is that another Dave? Josh, is that another Josh? Karen, oh, this is a very exotic name, Reka. What? Recio Mora. Hi. Recio Mora. There's Cooley. Hello, John Cooley. And Thomas, Chuck, Steve. My goodness, this is this is. Uh, I think people have people have uh, tuned in to hear what we have to say, or better yet, what they have to say. Yeah. We want to hear. So let's see some of the comments here. We have Dennis, brain and brain. What is brain? What are we, Spock brain here? I mean, we're doing Spock's brain. Uh, Dave, yo all, John's away. The kids will play. Are we kids? I like being kids. 
Is that what we're going to be? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're we're the well. I guess I'm supposed to be a grown up because I'm on all of them, right? We're kids at heart. Well, that is for shizzle. Yeah, for shizzle. Josh Chowak says hello, Rika and Norm. Hi guys. Uh, Josh, it's actually it's, it's John and Norm. You know, because again, yeah, cosmetic surgery, right? You know, that's just Norman's face beard. on John. Or is it John who? Haha, <laughs> uh, Karen, good evening. Good evening to you. Uh, Mauricio, hi. John Cooley, greetings, gentle beings. Are we gentle Aww. beings? And fierce, but you know, also gentle. I guess that remains to be seen. Wait until we get to the comments and, and into our discussion. <laughs> Steve, hi, Norman and Rika. Hello, Steve. Wow. Hey, Steve. I have not enough window space for all the people that are joining tonight. Ria. Ria, good day, friends down under. Hello, Ria, how are you? That's my terrible Australian accent for you. I don't think it was that bad, but it's... it's you jumped it's, in, man. You did it. Well, you know, this is live. Live without a net. Let's do this. Tate, yeah. August, hot with... Hello there. Hello, Tate. John X, the lovely Rega is back. I'm just going to sit back. I'm just going to sit back, relax, yeah. and enjoy the show? Well, the lovely Rega is back, so it's obviously not about me. It's oh, about well, I mean, he's being nice. Take yeah. it as an insult. Very flattering. Very flattering. Sean Dempsey. Now, Sean Dempsey is a close friend of mine. Hi, Sean, for joining the show. Lisa See, Gillespie. You've got friends. I don't know any friends. They're all your friends. Oh. Only Sean is my friend. Everyone Thanks. else is a paid shill. Thanks, you guys. I will send your 20 bucks in the mail. Make sure that I have your SASE and uh, so I can get you that by check. If they bounce, not my fault. Um, blame the checks or send me your PayPal address. Lisa Gillespie Reckonmeyer, surgically altered. Yes, I am. <laughs> Sans beard. <laughs> Chris Riker says, hell yeah. Hell yeah, hello, or hell yeah, let's get to the show. I'm not sure what that means. Paul Wright Jr., got my tea, Earl Grey hot and ready to go. Nice. What are we drinking tonight? I'm drinking from my works, my corks, my works, corks mug. Nice. I just have the standard the pink water bottle. We have, to we have electrolytes in here. We have to get you. Well, you have. Oh, yeah. Because the people who uh, were here last week, you know, uh, I think whoever was listening would know that I got sick, came down with the flu last week. Oh. I am on the tail end of that. Yeah. That jerky flu. It took me out for the whole week. Like, I only just left the house yesterday for the first time. I'm glad you're on the mend. Yeah. I'm glad you're on the mend. So, we have a lot of going on with the chat. And it's fantastic. Thank you so much for everybody tuning in tonight for Mission Log Live. But before we get into our discussion, Reka, would you like to tell the listeners what's going to be happening in the next week or so when we unfold the rest of the schedule with Picard? I would love to. Next week here on Mission Log Live, Monday night at 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern, I will be back. And so will John Champion without Norman's face um, stuck on top. Um, it's going to be John Champion face. And he will have re returned to his normal bearded self. Can't even talk. Normal, normal be bearded self. Normal bearded self. Normal mm. bearded self. Say that five times fast. As we delve deep into Star Trek Picard episode three. Three. Now, uh, Reka, have you seen all three episodes of Picard? No. Okay. So I'm, only I'm watching at the same pace that all of our lovely watchers out there are watching. Oh, awesome. Because I know that John was at the premiere, then everyone at the premiere saw three episodes. So you and I, 
at least are seeing it in real time along with the rest of the listeners. Yeah. That's fantastic. And we can, we can address all of their concerns in real time. It's pretty cool, man. We're all on the same page. So there are a couple of polls that I'd like to talk to you and the listeners about because I love doing polls. Polls kind of give us kind of the pulse of what's going on with our listeners and what's going on with obviously with some important subject matter that we talk about here on Mission Log Live. Now, last week, the big poll was who knew when to hold them and who chose to fold them. And it held fairly strong at the all-in vote at 95% and the full vote at 5%. And I think that really speaks to a lot of people giving Picard a chance, giving the story the ability to unfold and to inform them how this entire series is going to go. But this week, this it's week, a big deal. It's profanity in Picard. <gasps> Feck yeah. 60%. F no, 40%. So uh, this is a little more controversial. It is very controversial. And just to let everyone know who's watching tonight, our sample size for this particular <laughs> poll is a little bit over the 3,000 votes counted mark. So it's not a small sample size. What that tells us is that there is, in that 60-40 split, there's a lot of either open-mindedness or support or um, just a general willingness to see like where this type of dialogue can go. Does it make a difference versus, and, and a lot of the comments that I've read versus, I don't want that kind of profanity in my storytelling. I read a comment uh, that was sent to me about, you know, either I watch it with my family or I watch it with my students or I watch it with a community of people that don't appreciate that type of language in their show. Then there is the other side of the equation where people feel like this is the kind of language that speaks to me. It's adult. It's progressive. What do you think about how this vote has been split in favor of the feck yeah? Well, I think that speaks to people wanting to see Trek move along with the times. Uh, I think that also speaks to a culture that is just more comfortable with with uh, cussing, mm -hmm. cursing. I know I've gone through my own journey with that. And I've recently become more comfortable with swearing, and it's kind of liberating. So I get, I get the feck, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. On the other hand, I also get the F no. My dad hated swearing. It's also really nice to be able to have a conversation that doesn't have any swearing because generally speaking, I find swearing can just be lazy, like you can't find the right words, so you just say, mm -hmm. but there's actually a better word that more accurately describes whatever it is that you're talking about. So, yeah, plus little people, you know. Yeah. It's annoying when they can't watch whatever you're watching. But then I also know parents who have raised their children letting them swear. And so then it doesn't become a thing and they're not weird about it. It's just another word. 
I can see both sides of the equation. And obviously by the, yeah. by the sample size and the voting audience, it's, I wouldn't say it's 50, 50, but it's, it's not, the disparity isn't as wide as I thought it was going to be. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but as we do in the tradition of mission log live, we're going to get into Picard episode two maps it. and legends with the longest recap probably ever written in the, <laughs> in the history of mission log live. A lot live. of pop, plot points, a lot of plot there's points. There's a lot, yeah, there was, this is a very dense episode and uh, there's a lot of things to talk about. So we are going to go into the recap. The year, is 20, the year is 2385 and it is happy first contact day, or at least it should have been. During a fairly routine work day at Utopia Planitia at a maintenance station, a skeleton crew is murdered by their support synthetic F8. It hacked into their main computer terminal, compromising security protocols for synthetic unit groups and the deactivation of all deflector shields on the shipyard, opening the doorway for a massive orbital bombardment from a network of attack ships laying in wait. Without the orbital defense system to protect the installation, chaos rips across the shipyards. Finally, F8 executes himself, marking the beginning of what can only be described as a revolution. Fourteen years later at Chateau Picard, Jean-Luc, Laris, and Zaban try and piece together what happened to Dash Asha. Her abduction and the systematic digital scrubbing of her very public murder that Jean-Luc witnessed leads only to believe one possible conclusion. Laris tells Jean-Luc about a mythical cabal known in whispers as the Zad Vash, aptly named after the dead, the most reliable keepers of secrets. Laris and Jean-Luc beam to Zash's apartment in Boston to reconstruct what happened. Laris tells Jean-Luc that the Zad Vash have an unexplainable yet deep-seated hatred and loathing for all synthetic life, and that they have infiltrated many of the major galactic powers, including the Federation. Through the use of highly illegal Romulan forensic reconstruction technology, Laris surmises that all traces of evidence have been erased at the deepest molecular level. However, her former training as Tal Shiar as an operative, allows her to find things that would seem ubiquitous or benign, such as a phone conversation that the alleged Zadvash agents missed because of the vocal pattern on the call, to and from twin sisters that are almost completely identical. However, the trail ends here because the origin of such a call came from off-world. Deep in Romulan space, on the Borg reclamation site, the Talsily-haired Romulan Narek and Dr. Soji Asha have been spending some intimate moments prying their way into each other's secrets. But as Soji tries to get closer to him, Narek masterfully eludes anything directly, very expected of a Romulan who, by admission, is very good at keeping secrets. Back at the Chateau, Jean-Luc is visited by a very old and dear friend, Dr. Moritz Benayoun, his physician on the USS Stargazer. Jean-Luc needs Moritz to clear him to return to active duty, but that was not to be. Moritz tells Jean-Luc he has shown early signs of a devastating mental syndrome, but Picard, as he is wont to do, persuades his friend to give him one last chance to make a difference. Picard beams the Starfleet command to meet with CNC Admiral Kirsten Clancy in a very brief and fiery meeting. Jean-Luc tells the Admiral that he believes that Bruce Maddox is trying to recreate Data's technology from a single positronic neuron with plans on creating a new form of synthetic life. As Picard pleads for a ship and a crew to further his investigation, Clancy cuts him off at the knees, citing that this is no longer his house and that his authority and influence no longer have bearing in matters of the Federation. And 
that very public interview really didn't help his case because organizations like Starfleet don't take kindly to one of their own throwing them under the warp nacelles. Returning to Labar, Picard returns home to find Dr. Agnes Durati waiting for him with some startling revelations. Agnes tells Picard that Daj Asha's entire life and career were masterful fabrications all the way up to her application and acceptance to work at the Daystrom Institute, possibly even by Bruce Maddox himself. But the question she poses to Picard that has not been addressed is, where is Soji? On the Borg cube, Narek observes that Dr. Soji and her team are extracting prized Borg implants from a nameless or inactive possible dead Borg drone. But before the drone is discarded from the operating table, Narek watches Soji with great interest as she stands over the drone and in a way says a comforting goodbye to it. At Chateau Picard, Jean-Luc pulls from a drawer a beautiful silver ceremonial box. Inside, his old Starfleet communicator. Walking outside his study and looking up at the stars like he has done so many times before, he attaches it to his breast, looks up, and calls to an old friend for help as he was talking to the stars himself. At Starfleet Command, Admiral Clancy is briefing Commodore O of Starfleet Security and a Vulcan regarding what Picard has to say about Bruce Maddox's possible plan to create a new strain of synthetics and a Romulan condestant activity. O assures her that if there are Romulans on Earth, that would be an act of war. At the Chateau, Laris drops her entire tray of girl gray from utter shock and anger at Picard's incredibly thin and desperate plan to find Bruce Maddox and Soji Asha, knowing that only the Tal Shiar can protect him from what he's already seen, which quite possibly had been the Zad Vash. If Picard leaves, he'll be in grave danger. But Picard is resolute to try and save the memory and daughter of a man and a friend who has saved his life over 20 years ago. As Laris storms off in disbelief, Zaban asks Jean-Luc if he can call upon his old crew to help him. Riker, Worf, and LaForge. But if Picard does not want to oblige them, he will put his beloved crew in harm's way, and he never wants to do that ever again. In Commodore O's office, Lieutenant Rizzo has been brought up to speed on the current situation regarding Admiral Picard's experiences with Dash Asha, her possible connection to Bruce Maddox, and most importantly, clandestine Romulan activities at the center of Dash's assassination. Commodore O tells Rizzo to rein in her Romulan operative, Narek, who is currently manipulating Soj Asha for purposes not yet known. Deep in a desert valley, Jean-Luc approaches what appears to be a very tranquil and peaceful cabin, from which emerges a very statuesque and well-armed woman who doesn't seem happy to see him. With shotgun pointed at his back as he walks away, Picard says the one thing that cut to her straight, secret Romulan assassins are operating on Earth. Good thing he was also armed, with a bottle of Chateau Picard, 86 that is. And finally, we see Lieutenant Rizzo, or at least a hologram of her, appear in Narek's quarters. It seems that Lieutenant Rizzo is a Romulan disguised in human form, round ears and all. As she grills Narek for any significant updates to his progress with Soji, she also wants to know if a certain nest has been discovered. No doubt the main hub of Borg drones that the Zadvash has been searching for all along. The end. Wow. All right. We're at warp speed. And only a couple of edits from Earl, if this actually became editable. But it's not. It's live. So <laughs> let me take a breath here. Uh, that, that was excellent. Thank you so much for doing that, Norman. Thank you, Reagan. So let's, let's get into the discussion of this episode. Yes. And uh, I want to start off with you, Reka. 
What did you think? How did you feel? What spoke to you? Um, uh, there were a lot of things, you know, the, the maps and legends. Uh, we just, you know, came out of the explosion of what the hell happens in the premiere. And now it's time to try and figure out the mystery. So we're looking for maps. We're looking for direction, where to go, what choices to make, and uh, how to get there. Um, and legends. Uh, there's a lot of legends of different peoples and Jean-Luc Picard himself. Mm -hmm. and uh, possibly being a little bit of a legend in his own mind, uh, which is a, a fun thing to explore. It was one of my laugh-out-loud moments of the episode, watching uh, Jean-Luc have someone not have any idea who he is. Oh, those young people. What do they know? The young guys. Uh, yeah, it was a wonderful, uh, very human moment that I that I very much appreciated. It's... It's great when we get to see the flaws of our heroes. Mm -hmm. um, all of that put aside, I will say to me that what spoke to me in this episode was uh, the theme of looking at decency and respect versus being in the ego, thinking small-mindedness, trying to be um, with small-mindedness and uh, operating from fear. Uh, you know, um, we see that theme time and again. So that's what I'm excited about exploring. Well, we have a lot of, to, you know, we have, of subjects to talk about, obviously. I mean, there's, there's so much to get to, but this is for you. This is for you, our live audience. Uh, Reka and I are trying to navigate just the depths and the, the density of this episode. And we will try and address our own points as we can, but let's get to the heart of the matter here and the spirit of what we're trying to talk to through all of the callers that are waiting for us. So first up on yes, the list here, please. we have the vice admiral on the line. Vice admiral, what's happening? Oh, it's a good Monday night. How are you two? Good. Thank Doing you well. for being thank here you. with us. Always a pleasure. So the Jean Vache. Yes. According to our Telshir uh, folk, thousands upon thousands of years they have had this fear. That mm -hmm. makes you wonder, considering that the split with the Romulans and the Vulcans was only about 2,400 years ago. Mm. Mm -hmm. So does that mean that it predates that, that it goes back to Vulcan history? It's very well possible. I mean, it's the, the math adds up. Unless that was just, you know, adding a more legendary quality to what she was talking about, which could be. Which could be. But either way, we have yet another um, case, as we did in uh, Season 2 of Discovery, where, you know, you've got the big bad is artificial life. Or at least the big, the big fear is artificial life. Now, I wonder how that came up for them. What do you think about that, Rekha? How, how, uh, what do you mean? How it came up for them in what regard? Why are, why are they so terrified? Of oh, artificial why are they life? so terrified? Yeah, I mean, that's the question. And it was kind of a fun one that I was thinking about this afternoon in terms of, well, let me go to their side and, uh, and think about synthetic and, um, you know, the world that we live in today. And, uh, you know, synthetic things are, are killing the planet. You know, it, there's plastic everywhere. It's literally ruining the planet. We don't know how to live in harmony just as we are. 
and this uh, drive also that I think um, is behind uh, a lot of the people who invent synthetic life. And I think this is absolutely true to Trek, you know, to the canon, uh, you know, the inventors of it, some of it's, you know, we think so much about it, you know, in data who we love and adore. And um, we think so much about it being truly sentient life and, and it explores the topics of racism and all of that stuff. But also that the other side of it is that drive to um, achieve, 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 go faster, be, uh, consume more, you know, capitalism at its best. Well, let's make a machine to do this all faster. At Amazon right now, we're seeing, uh, you know, so much digitization and, and speed in their company that people are getting hurt at alarming rates. It's really bad what's happening at Amazon. So, you know what? That's my, uh, So, Reka, Reka, are you for the other side? Like, like Ian Malcolm said in Jurassic Park, is that no one ever asked if they should just because they could? Yeah, it's a valid question. It's a valid question. I mean, in the story, we're definitely on the other side of that. We're not on the Romulan side. The way that this story is being told, right? I, I think for me, Vice Admiral, the Romulans have always prided themselves on being able to control the flow of information. Yes. Being able to to lock down exactly what narrative that they want to say and the information that can be used against them or for them, for their, their advantage. And I think that when you create an artificial life form, that artificial life form really hinges on, one, who's programming that life form, and two, whether or not that life form becomes sentient. And this goes all the way back to measure of a man because the three things that Maddox said that that uh, were against the case that, that he was trying to make for data is that one, it has to be sentient. Two, it has to have the understanding of its own consciousness. And three, it has to be able to be intelligent. Now, if you make all those three, three criteria part of this equation, then if they reach that, if the Romulans know that that can be attained they can't control that. And that technology can right. no longer be controlled if it falls into the hands of others. So what does that leave them? The masters of secrets, you know, the, the masters of creating control and the, the ability to lock down any information flow that they deem as irrelevant or threatening, right? Yeah. So I can see that that's why they want to do this. And especially when it comes to the Borg, because the Borg are... They're not just artificial intelligence. They are organic beings that have such power over their own collective in terms of the flow of information, the sharing of information. One secret can affect hundreds of thousands, if not millions of drones that still exist. So what does mm-hmm. that do to the Romulans? Remember, the, uh, there's that old adage that he, he, who, or he or she who controls information controls power. Yeah. And if they don't have the uh, the authority over that in total, and they don't have authority over power. And I think Indeed. that that's what we're, I think that that's what we're getting at in terms of the Romulan agenda in this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's all about like <laughs> from whence it came, right? And if the Romulans all are about control, well, and that tells you a lot about their whole 
every decision that they're making. Well, it's, sure. It's an you know, it's, split. You it's, know, not, it's not for the betterment of society. <laughs> uh, and it seems likely that if they, if they were building these things, they certainly... The three laws of robotics are probably not something they came up with in any way. Well, if they ever did try to come up with anything cybernetic, maybe they just didn't come up with a way to be able to control them sufficiently so they didn't ever want them around. You know, they were always afraid of them losing that control, as you say. And then you have to wonder, what do they think of all these other races they're running into? I mean, obviously, if we're to be, uh, if we're to buy this story, then the whole reason that they're infiltrating other civilizations is primarily out of fear of artificial life, not just for control or just spying on them, right? Well, and if the, they did have anything to do with the attack on Mars, that kind of really makes you wonder how far they'll go. The, the way I see it, Admiral, is mm -hmm. that the Zadvash as, as a concept, you know, we're kind of like looking at like the, the, the far-reaching influences of of our secret societies, say like the Illuminati, because the Illuminati has spurned so many myths about these secret clandestine organizations that obviously Dan Brown has spoken ad nauseum to with angels and demons and the <laughs> yes. code, right? But the, the secret control of information from all of these kind of like these shadow government organizations is really at the heart of, of mythology and what we believe is something that we can't control. So we're operating under the auspices of this thin veil of control for our own lives, knowing that there's these shadow organizations out there that control everything, much like that. So I think that that's why the Zadvash just is, is so intriguing and so romantic as a notion, as an idea, is because we know in our society, in human society, there is that possibility, but now you're bringing it to a completely universally galactic scale that can possibly happen. And I think that's like, it's, it's a very interesting notion, very interesting concept. Agreed. So uh, one last thing, uh, Admiral, uh, we'll give you one more chance to hear, to hear like one more point before we move on to the next caller, <laughs> because we have so many callers lined up right now that want to talk about this episode. Absolutely. I just have to wonder if there are so, uh, um, concerned about all of this and the board have to be somewhere in that level of fear of theirs because while they are organic they are still in a way artificial and have a significant amount of communication capability how are they so comfortable with having a board cube you think they're comfortable well it's been 16 years and they've managed to not get assimilated so by now they might be uh I, i'm curious what you think norman norman do you think they're comfortable I think they're comfortable in the fact that they know that the, the Borg drone ship and all the drones have been deactivated up to a point. And you know what? Here's the thing is that sometimes they have to take that risk. You know, risk is their business now. They have to take the risk of making sure that they control the information. And if those Borg drones are indeed, in fact, cut off from the collective, mm -hmm. then they have the advantage of being able to mine their technology to exploit them and to sell it to the highest bidder and to be able to eliminate probably the greatest threat that they have to them right now. And that is the synthetic life forms that, that pose a threat to them just as a general theory. So in, in destroying these board drones and destroying the collective, they in sense secure their own, uh, their own stranglehold over the information in my and I wonder if they're also mining them for the information in some way, if they are able to tap into at least a part of what was local to that 
piece of the network, which we know is pretty vast knowledge of other parts of the galaxy. Well, here's something that I want to pose to you before you leave and for everybody else, that if they really wanted to, to eliminate their threat, why not just disintegrate them ad nauseum right now? There's something that they want. Yeah, there has to be, and, and we don't know what it is yet, but they do, obviously. I, I agree, and, and the reason why I was surprised by you saying comfortable is because I feel like they're not comfortable at all, and that's why they're all up in their business. So you think it's that like, it's such a threat that they need to control it and they need to they dismantle need to, it in a different way? Yeah, they need to dismantle it. They need to figure it out. They need to, it's like, it's getting to know your enemy, keep your, you know, your friends close and your enemies, enemies closer. closer. Yeah. I, you know, and, and this is what we do when, when we're afraid, when we're trying to control our existence. What do we do? We try to figure shit out as quickly as we can. <laughs> we turn it inside out and backwards and try to figure out every single possible outcome and find out exactly what the other people involved are thinking and how they work. And if we're feeling confident and comfortable about something, we just walk right past it because it's not a threat. There's a, hilarious, there's a hilarious scene in the movie that uh, Steven Spielberg, a very lesser-known movie by Steven Spielberg called 1941. Oh, there's yes. a scene where, <laughs> you know, where uh, I think it was Slim Whitman. Was Slim, Slim Pickens. Whitman? Slim Pickens. Slim Pickens tried to, like, shove his giant radio through the <laughs> porthole of a Japanese <laughs> sub. And he said, and, and, and the Japanese soldiers were like, we got to find a way to make these things smaller. Yep. Right. And that's yep. just that was that was kind of like a, a you know like very pointed note on the fact that you know technology once understood the power and the capacity of what it can do eventually will be perverted for somebody else's means whether it's going to be either financial gain or political gain or some type of gain it's going to be perverted and I think that's what the Romulans are doing right here. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. All right. Hey, it's been great to talk to you guys. Good to see you again. You Thank you very much for your call. Thank see you. See you both later. Take care. Okay. See ya. Thank you. And remember, if you'd like to call in and be part of this conversation, that number again is 669-900-6833. Use the one tap from your smartphone or better yet, just click on the Zoom meeting link. Now, I know that Earl is, is uh, he's, he's fighting off a lot of callers tooth and nail, but who do we have next, Earl, on the line? Hello. 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 Who Hi. are we talking to? This is Karen. Hi, Karen. How are you? Hey, Karen. Good. So much to talk about. Right? So much. So much to talk about. What's pick on your mind? Place. So I have, I have to pick one thing. I had all kinds of things. I was like, oh, I was going to see where the conversation was going. But how about this question with the board cube? So the Romulans, it's apparently in Romulan space, they control it, but there are all of these other species there, scientists, many from Federation worlds. Mm -hmm. So what do we think is going on there? Oof. Because it's essentially the Romulans show they're not part of the Federation. People still hold apparently grudges yeah. with them, even though they're basically in tatters. And I suspect that there is um, more than one faction of Romulans now. I mean, they talk about, the, there was a mention of the free state, the Romulan free state. Well, what is that? And yet you have these more militaristic elements still existing with the Tal Shiar and the 
uh, Jat Vash. So any ideas, any, I, I just cannot figure out all of those different people being present in this Romulan controlled board cube. I mean, it's like their own little board museum or facility. I mean, I'm curious what you have to say about this, Norman, but I'll just briefly say, I feel like, you know, it's one of those things where science is at the, at the top of the list. And so people are able to kind of put their um, prejudices or their, their, I wouldn't normally hang out with this crowd sort of stuff to the side because we're all here as professionals and we're doing this thing that's bigger than all of us. So I feel like that's part of it. I also have a lot of questions. There's a lot of mysteries. <laughs> There's a long <laughs> list of questions. I'm like, how is this? What's going on? Like, where are they going to go? So I'm with you on that. But um, It's kind of like a vis visiting artist program or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the way I see the kind of like this joint effort in what's going on with the board cube, first of all, when you reach out to a scientific community at large and you say, we have something of an unprecedented nature mm -hmm. that you can work on, would you like to do it? I think that a lot of people would say, sure. Maybe grants are involved. Maybe you know some type of financial gain is involved. Maybe some type of reputation gain is involved. Definitely. That being said, this is, this is a project that is being for the most part, authorized by the Romulan government so that whatever they're doing, whatever these races, these different scientists from different races, from different worlds and with different agendas are doing, we all have to bear in mind that whatever that they uncover, exhume, study, codify, all becomes property of the Romulan government. All right. of that, you know, all of that information becomes theirs in the end. They are literally getting free labor in a way, but more importantly, they are getting information from probably some of the best minds mm -hmm. that are working on this project right now. And when you literally when you think about it, like in a, in a global scale, that is like the best way to get like to, to mine information from a standpoint that everything looks like it's being altruistic at a certain point. Everyone's looking at this artifact like, wow, we can do something with this. But how much of the stuff that they're mining is actually getting out into actual proper research as opposed to being filtered through the Romulan secret police from the Tal Shiar standpoint? Like, oh, that's nice. Oh, yeah. You can have those rocks. We'll take the laser technology. <laughs> you know, you can have the Flintstones but we will have the matrix. You know what I'm saying? Like maybe they were, maybe this also has to do with the fact that with the destruction of their system, they didn't have the workforce, scientific workforce, and they had to allow mm -hmm. others in but they still got to be controlling it mightily somehow because that's just their nature. Because I just don't think they would have opened something like that up to Federation worlds, even scientists, too easily otherwise. There's definitely another agenda there that we'll probably 
<laughs> don't even know. <laughs> well, it's very well possible that people are like, oh, it's a dead Borg cube. The Borg are done. You know, after after certain episodes that we know in, in the next generation, you know, uh, you know, with Q and and the, the Borg virus and things of that nature after first contact, the Borg are kind of they're broken. So one of the things that's very prevalent in science fiction and fantasy and even our own history, it's it's basically the uh, what's the right word? I don't want to say the wrong word. The right word is the, the exploitation yeah. of civilizations that have been broken. You know, in this case, the civilization of the Borg, mm-hmm. if you want to call it that, is is defunct. There really isn't a civilization that holds them, that binds them together anymore as the collective. They have been summarily dismantled. And now grave robbers are picking at the bones or trying to yeah. find the value in that. And, and essentially that's going to get on the black market or the the, the Romulans are going to keep the, 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 the best cut choices of meat and then everything, the scraps are just going to go on the wayside. So I think that's it's kind of like one of those, it's going to be remain to be seen, but I do think that the Romulans obviously are at an agenda to to control what's happening with the, the arms race of artificial life forms. I, I, well, there sure is a place for um, the EMH to come in here with all of these uh, disconnected drones. And, you know, I feel like they're not doing their best their best work there, the way they were taking that guy apart on the table. It was, uh, was it was pretty perfunctory. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't think, I mean, Reka, I don't want to speak for you, but I don't think that they care too much about the flesh component of those drones. All they nope. want is the technology. Mm-hmm. Yep. The nameless. So, well, and I think they're also, it, they're, they're relying upon um, as, uh, what's that? What's the Romulan guy's name? Narek. Narek. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, as 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 Narek the tousled feller said, um, you know, at a grave graveyard, you get grave robbers and you get uh, people hoping for. I can't remember what the second one, was, but the third one was it, those who are hope for resurrection. And it's like you said, you know, when you get all the um, all those kinds of minds together. And they're all working on something that you own. <laughs> really, you're going to walk away with the cream of the crop for of everything, mm-hmm. whatever it is that they discover. I think they don't even know what's possible. I mean, I, I think Karen that what we're looking at here is the Romulan version of the arms race, because obviously, after the Hobus, uh, the the Hobus event, uh, and Romulus and Remus being destroyed. They have no home. They have no ability to to create, uh, I guess, a society until they find a way to control the arms race against the Federation and the Klingon Empire, the Gorn hegemony, uh, things of that nature. Once they do, once they unlock whatever secret weapon that they're looking for, then they become a superpower again. And in an arms race, technology and the ability to control that information, whoever owns that in the end, whoever owns the most superior version of that, becomes a superpower, regardless of whether or not they have a home base. It's because they have the biggest, baddest gun in the galaxy. And at least in this era of Star Trek, that's kind of what's driving the narrative, in my opinion. I think they're just going to get a whole lot more than they bargained for. True enough. I think there's going to be things that they didn't even expect. Well, that is one thing that 
powers like that can overlook, especially somebody like the Romulans, is that they are focused on that technology, yeah. but is possibly the better source, the people, the more rich source, the, the real gun. You know, all of those mm-hmm. bored. When you look at Seven of Nine, she certainly retains a ton of her knowledge and is invaluable in ways. So it could be a story, too, of you're going for the obvious and you're throwing away the important part. Yeah. And that remains to be seen. You know, obviously, we know that Jerry Ryan's coming back as Seven of Nine and she's so a huge excited. component. Right? I, I have no right? It's going to be amazing. Uh, <laughs> and and what dynamic she brings in because obviously she's been disassociated from the collective we know that from voyager um we know that there is obviously a, a huge board component in play and i think that she's going to be i think she's going to be some type of crusader for their rights you know there's there's going to be there's going to be something that sets her off i don't know what yet because i haven't seen uh, future episode, much like the other John that's behind this veil of Norman Lau that has seen. So we'll see. But I, I think that what, one of the things that I find truly exciting about your question, about the questions that are coming through the comments, is that there's so much possibility and so much uh, discussion that's happening with what's going to happen. And I find that just so engaging and so uh, exciting to see. You know, it's exciting to see people so involved with what's going to happen. And I hope that it meets everyone's yeah. expectations. Yeah, it's mine so far. It's exceeded my expectations so far. So awesome! All yeah. right, Karen. Well, thank you. Well, so thank much. you guys. Yes, thank, thank you, you so Karen. much for calling in. Thanks. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for going uh, with the comments. And and I know Earl is uh, again. He's he's kind of like fighting off the uh, the cavalcade, the the deluge of phone calls that are coming in tooth and nail, but. Uh, we are reading your comments, and this is such a packed episode. I mean, Rekha, am I right? This is such a packed episode that... It's so... I, I mean, I have all these notes in front of me. I had, like, I only wrote half of them, the amount of notes I wrote at home about it. It's just, there's so much going on. There's so many questions to ask. There's so much danger and mystery and just questions upon questions and layers upon layers of danger. It's so exciting. Before we get to the next call, I just wanted to ask you... Do you think that this particular episode was far more dense in what it was trying to tell than the first episode? I do. I do. I think it's the, I think the, the story was incredibly powerful in the premiere and just simpler. And now we're like, it was like an explosion happened and now we're in there looking at all the pieces, trying to figure out what's going on and how to solve the mystery. And that's just going to be, way more complicated. Yeah, I feel that after watching this episode and after watching Remembrance, Remembrance had a really nice kind of like easy, like uh, like segue into you know, introducing Picard again, introducing some of the, like, the bigger players, obviously like Dodge and uh, like Zaban and Laris, uh, of which we can't, I mean, we only have enough, enough time to talk about how amazing Laris is coming. Let's, let's oh my God, right? I, it's in my notes. I was like, let's just, just... <laughs> For a moment, before we take this next call. Hi, Brian. It, we see Laris, Laris I just... Orla Brady. Mad props to Orla Brady. This is my introduction to her work. I've never seen her do anything before. I, there's a lot of great acting on the show. I love a lot of the performances. 
Laris is my first. I'm falling in love with you first, Laris. Yeah, she's winning me over big time. She's just brilliant. That line, go and take that one with you. You can die together. Oh, I, I had to listen to it twice in a row. It was just like, go. Fantastic actress. Okay. So um, before we get to Brian, just one more small note. If anybody, if any of you out there have a question or a comment or something that you wanted to say that you haven't been able to get a response to, let me know. Let me know. Let us know here at Mission Log. And we would like to be able to engage you with those questions. I will try and get to as many of the comments after the show as I can. But again, this is a very, very condensed and dense and information-packed show. So, Brian, let's get to Brian because he's been waiting. Let's get to him. I dig your shirt, dude. That is yeah, the dark, that's thank the you. Dark, is that the dark side of the Federation? Is that what it's saying? This is the Trek side of the moon. Uh, Trek, Trek side, of, side the of the moon. I dig that, bro. And uh, credit where credit is due, this shirt came from uh, Will Wheaton's uh, online oh. store. You want to get Will one for yourself? Wheaton? Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton. Will. You may have heard nice. of him. Well done. Anyway, What's on your mind, well, Brian? Oh, gosh. Well, um, <laughs> I want to jump in just to give us a little uh, Tamlin Tomita love. Right? Because I know you were very excited, and I was like, it's Laurel from, from B5. All right. So, <laughs> <laughs> My crush my crush with Tamlin Tomita go all, goes all the way back to Karate Kid 2. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Oops, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, uh, I saw that, and I was like, oh, wow, it's true. I mean, she joins a um, fairly short list of crossover B5 Star Trek people like right. Andreas Katsoulis, of course. And uh, but how'd you feel about her as the Commodore? I mean, that's a, that's a pretty severe turn for what we understand Tamla Tamita, just in terms of her overall uh, resume and acting. I mean, usually she's well. Let's let's. Like, I'll be I'll be honest. She's not nearly as as focused. I will say <laughs> as the Commodore is. I mean, the Commodore is pretty darn focused. Yeah. Well, of course. I I'm assuming she's actually a Romulan. <laughs> Is we'll she? See. That's what well, I assumed. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I mean, can, really? can, they tell, can they tell the difference? I don't know how to tell the difference. Do you guys know how? As, as far as I know, um, because of Lieutenant Rizzo and her, her ability to be able to mask Romulan's signature, I'm going to get very techno babbly here. Okay. Um, so based on from, from what I understand, if Lieutenant Rizzo has the ability to not only cosmetically hide her physical appearance as opposed to her, her biological signature as a Romulan. If that is true, then, oh, wow, the Federation is really in trouble if they can't suss out like Romulan biogenetic signatures from at least that molecular level. That is well, a bad yeah, thing. You'd think after the I Dominion think, War, they would yeah. have uh, raised their game in terms of detecting uh, infiltration in the Federation. Are we saying we don't have? I mean, either way, <laughs> even if even if she's not, even if she is a Vulcan, like she's doing some really screwed up. Yeah, <laughs> like she's in with the Romulans. She's part of the whole plan. This is a, a Federation is absolutely corrupt from the head down. That's what we're seeing. So yeah, Picard's you know, right. I mean, Rinka makes a very good point here. And I think one of the things we have to take uh, notice of is that if, in fact, Commodore O, and I have to say this because it's in my notes and I want to get this in, Commodore O, my. Oh, my. <laughs> Commodore O, oh my. I know oh, Earl, you went there. I know Earl appreciates that. 
you went there. Okay. If Commodore O is in fact Vulcan uh, and not a Romulan, and she is in fact knowledgeable about uh, the Romulan clandestine actions that are happening under the uh, uh, the auspices of, of Federation intelligence, and if in fact that she knows exactly what Lieutenant Rizzo is doing or who she is, that well, means she has to know. That whole conversation was her knowing. Her knowing that Lieutenant Rizzo has an agent in the Romulan Empire, but not necessarily if Lieutenant Rizzo is Romulan herself. I thought that was made clear that she was a Romulan in disguise as a human. It, she definitely is. Again, another mm-hmm. failure of Federation's infiltration. I, I don't um, and you're again. saying maybe the Commodore doesn't know? I'm saying that if, if the Commodore, if she does know, then... That's a completely different misunderstanding on my part. But if she doesn't know, that means that the Romulans are working on a completely different agenda, especially the Zadvash. So that opens up, I mean, that entire layer opens up so many different things because obviously Clancy doesn't know. Clancy is no, like, that's she is what completely I like. Is that in, what you thought, Brian? I thought that Clancy didn't know. Oh, no, I don't think Clancy is complicit with this at all. But She's that just being a hard Starfleet admiral, yeah. yeah. But, you, but you also felt that the Commodore knows exactly what's going on. Yeah, I think she knows everything that's okay. going on. Yeah, I'm a little ambiguous about that. But then again, okay. I, I could watch it again and say, like, oh yeah, you guys are totally right. I have to see that from a different point of view. We'll, we'll find out. But that means that if you guys are right, and I'm not saying that you're not, that means that the Vulcans and the Romulans are working together for what end, to what agenda, and that is. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's terrifying for the Federation. Having somebody, a charter-signed member of the Federation, working with the Romulans. That's what I thought. To oh. extract more technology, to, to further the arms race and control of synthetic beings. What? Yeah. That's well, are, we, are we counting the Borg as, Maybe they as want us to artificial think that. life? I, I would say so, yeah. Yeah. I yeah, think so. I think so. Well, they, they well, they're they've always kind of been well 50-50, right? They're they're part cybernetic and part yeah. and it's kind of a question of which came first, the chicken or the egg here. But it seems like they would fall into that artificial life category, which uh, disliked by these. Uh, sorry, what are they called again? Yeah, the Meta Talshiar. Talshiar. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> those guys. Well, I, so, I mean, Brian, I, I think that which. Uh, I'll just mention every time they said Paul Shiar, I had to remind myself that they weren't saying Tasha Yar. <laughs> Tasha Yar. Oh. What? Tasha Yar? Because I want her to come back. No. <laughs> I personally think that whoever wrote that character, you know, after yesterday's Enterprise and Reunification 1 and 2, I think they're like, what'd you say? Did you say Tal Shiar? No, I said Tasha Yar. That's the name that I want to give yeah. her. Yeah. I thought you said Tal Shiar. Uh, whatever. Just no, write we'll it. write that down for something else. That's how it happened. I I think that, um, you know, in in terms of this arms race, it doesn't matter if they're synthetic. It doesn't matter if they're cybernetic. What matters is that the Romulans win control over it all. And I think that that speaks to this agenda of uh, they're kind of like they're rebuilding their empire after it's been destroyed, obviously, by the, the Hobus event. They want to reclaim power. And the only, not the only, but the best and most efficient way of reclaiming power in any situation like this, when you're completely out of the power struggle, is to find the most effective weapon, the most threatening weapon against any other superpower. Now, you have the Klingons, obviously you have the Gorn, you have the Kardashians that are probably still out there, the Bajorans aren't really a threat, you have the Federation. And what better way to, to pose a threat to the Federation than by infiltrating the intelligence organizations? Oh, gee, is that kind of like today, in a way? 
I don't know. Maybe. Listen, a lot of this stinks like today. But a we were talking about it. We were talking about this earlier on, Rekha and Brian. You can chime in, please. Is that when when Star Trek does what it does best? It tells. It is the allegory of what's happening today, and in yeah. controlling right. controlling information is controlling the greatest weapon that any nation state has at their at their disposal. And that's what's happening here with the Romulans. They're trying to control the flow of information. And in this case, the flow of information is the race for who controls the next wave of sentient beings. And I think... So, go, go ahead. so, so who's Facebook in this analogy? The, the Ferengi? Okay. That's Maybe. A question. <laughs> you know, Sorry. What do you think, Re- you think Reka? Well, I mean, I was, uh, you know, with this whole impeachment, all these hearings that we're, we're hearing this week, and I'm just seeing so much uh, reflected in this show about a corrupt government, uh, about, you know, uh, uh, democracy is supposed to be our saviors. <laughs> you know, what we have right now is something that's not really democracy. And I think that's what that's what's being mirrored in the show when Picard says, you know, we were, he didn't follow the orders that he was supposed to in that really intense discussion that he has with the, with the Clancy. Because Starfleet isn't holding up to what they're supposed to, the principles that they're supposed to. And he says, you know, like they were somehow supposed to be able to decide to kill an entire race. That's not right. Mm-hmm. And she says, yes, it absolutely is right. And it is a powerful question because I understand when you're in that position of of responsibility, you know, her point is valid that that they're responsible for the, um, what did she say, the, the unification of the entire freaking universe, basically. And um, they didn't have any ships left, so they had few options. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're both right and they're both wrong. This is and that the point, you know. Yeah, this, this is that point of view moment, you know. That it's, it's a matter of perspective. Really. It's a matter of perspective, but also like they should be, they should be on the same side. They should be working out the problem together, not pitted against one another. Hmm. And this is the problem, and this is what you know. This is we've got a bipartisan government. It's the same thing. They're, they're just going with their side. They're just too full of ego to actually go, wait a second, there's a problem here. Well, and because, I mean, Lord knows with Trump, he's just like so preoccupied with himself. That's the reason why there's an impeachment hearing because he put his own needs before the entire nation's. Anyway, I'm just going to go on and on. Thank I'll, you, Rika. There's also a... Uh, <laughs> thank you, Rika. Um, there's also we a... Have, um, we have, yeah, you know, you're out of time. We, yeah, we have yeah. very few moments left. So if there's one Sorry. thing that you would like to pose and, and let the audience kind of chime in on and chew on, what would it be? Oh, well, going back to the whole, you know, should we let our enemies die thing, it just took me right back to Star Trek Six mm-hmm. because that's where we were the Klingons and Kirk. Yeah. So mm. it's kind of we're doing we're doing some of the... The same thing over again, only the situations were a bit reversed. It wasn't the captain calling for um, letting them go, but uh, Starfleet. So it's kind of kind of a reverse of the Star Trek Six scenario. But anyway, um, it was good to talk to you. Uh, nice to meet you both. And, Stay in uh, touch. Uh, you too. Uh, you, uh, 
or if you are Norm, if that's your real name. Uh, <laughs> no, the beard's already starting to grow back. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Thanks, well, if you were John, I wouldn't get away with saying, Alamarine, everybody, and uh, see you next time. I can't wait to buy your shirt. Thanks so much for calling in, Brian, and thanks, everybody, for calling in. And uh, we are at the magic hour. So, uh, Reka. Yes. I just want to let you know it's been an absolute pleasure doing Likewise. this broadcast with you. It's my it's my first broadcast with you, and I hope it's not my last. It depends on really how the how the listeners feel about that. <laughs> um, and I hope we do get uh, a chance to do this in the near future. So, uh, Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Technical production on Mission Log is done by the fantastically talented, incredibly patient, and tolerant Earl Green. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, including not just Mission Log, but also Women at Warp, Priority One, The Trek Files, and your daily Star Trek news. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, hey, give us a look over at patreon.com slash mission log for some fine items there, including early access to videos to your weekly Mission Log and perhaps even shots of the rabbits who are very, very difficult to pin down. Um, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to me rant there in a very disjointed way about our current political situation as I see it mirrored by Star Trek. I love Star Trek. Thank you all for joining us. Um, thank you to, to, to those who join us tonight and to those of you who will join us later. And we will talk to you next week. podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network